powered by Pella Windows and Doors and by Shoot360 Lincoln. If you need a new window or door, take it from me, someone who just had Pella at my house put in a new bay window and front door. You got to go with Pella. Check out the showrooms in Omaha and Lincoln or online, PellaOmaha.com. And Shoot360 Lincoln, membership-based national franchise basketball training facility. In fact, it's the world's most advanced basketball training facility. We use NBA-level technology inside of our facility that tracks every single ball handling rep, passing rep, and shooting rep you take. And I say we because I am the owner of Shoot360 Lincoln along with my brother Alex and uh, this place is just it's amazing we've been open for I guess it's three exactly three months today fourth grade rookies to high level college and pros everybody can come to Shoot360 and unlock their game I love the shooting technology the splash meter is a literal cheat code to becoming a better shooter you can get up to 300 to 400 shots in just 30 minutes on our automatic rebounding machines and the splash meter technology, again, is tracking every shot you take, giving you real-time feedback to perfect your shot. Become a member by first scheduling your free one-hour workout at shoot360.com backslash Lincoln. Do it today. Okay. It is uh, Sunday, January 14th. I am taping this. Uh, I got three topics for you guys. Got some Nebraska football I want to get into. Got some Husker hoops as well. But I got to start with Creighton. So let's get into it. Uh, Creighton wins a grinder of a game over St. John's by one point, 66-65. I had the call on Fox with my guy Brandon Godden. And I tell you what, real quick, the fans that braved the elements to come to the CHI Health Center, really impressive. I mean, negative 30 degrees out, I mean, it was snow, foot of snow, uh, roads were not very good. Um, just big tip of the cap to everybody in the crowd that that showed, showed up, and boy, it made an impact, no doubt about it. Uh, first of all, I, w- with that game, I think St. John's is pretty good. I, I, I really do. And they're only going to get better. I mean, they got a brand-new roster, a brand-new coach who's a Hall of Famer in Rick Patino. If you watch them play in November and play now, they are getting a, they, they've made enormous strides. So I think that's a pretty quality win for Creighton. Keep in mind, St. John's had won six of their last seven games heading into Omaha with their lone loss being a loss at UConn the defending national champs where St. John's had the ball down one with under a minute left. So th- this was a surging St. John's team that Creighton grinded out a win over. I thought the uh, the first half, Creighton could have been up like 15 to 20 points. With the quality of shots they were getting, in particular from three, I mean, they were wide open. St. John's defense was kind of a mess in the first half as they allowed Creighton to attempt 23 threes. And I'd say... Gosh, 20 of those were like wide open, clean, in rhythm from their shooters, feet set, and they just didn't go in. Creighton goes set, uh, 6 of 23 from 3 in the first half, and if Creighton is shooting the ball well, I mean, they, they likely blow that game open, but they didn't. And St. John's tightened things up in the second half. St. John's went away from their matchup zone and they got really physical with Creighton's guards on the ball and made Creighton a two-point shooting team and pretty much eliminated the three-point line. Creighton only attempted four total threes in the second half, going 0 for 4. Didn't make a three in the second half. Only attempted four. So the complexion of the game completely flipped in that second half. Creighton, I thought, handled 
the St. John's physicality pretty well. They they drew fouls and got to the free throw line 21 times, 18 free throw attempts in the second half, which loomed large because points were really hard to come by in what became a Big East grinder in that second 20 minutes. Uh, I, I will say this, man, there, for Creighton to, to – there was an element of like, wow, I don't know how Creighton won that game because there was a moment where Creighton was big time against the ropes. St. John's was up nine with about nine and a half minutes to go. And oddly enough, at that, that point – I thought the Baylor-Shireman technical foul kind of flipped the game for Creighton. Shireman, it was a real physical game, like I was saying, and Shireman goes back door, catches it, goes up for a layup, thought he got fouled, boisterously yells at the ref that he got his arm hit, and he gets teed up. It was 52-47, to St. John's with the lead, when Shireman got, got his technical foul. Naheem Aline makes two free throws, and then St. John's scores on the ensuing possession, and all of a sudden, bam, it's 56-47. to And Creighton, the, the, the crowd got into it, and Creighton responds with a 12-2 run over the next four minutes and takes the lead on a Kalkbrenner dunk at 59-58 with about five minutes and 45 seconds left to go in the game. The technical foul ignited the crowd. Uh, it pumped energy into the arena and into into the, the Blue Jays. Um, you know, certainly lucky to have it work out that way. There was a version of that where, you know, the technical foul takes the wind out of Creighton Sales completely, gives all the momentum to, to St. John's, and, and St. John's goes on to win that game by 12 to 15 points. But for whatever reason, it went the other direction. And Creighton got some momentum. Creighton got a jolt of electricity. The the arena got kind of angry. And Creighton found a way to, to to go on a big run after that. And then down the stretch, I just thought, oh, that Greg McDermott pressed all the right buttons. It's a good move by by Coach Mack to stay with the small lineup of Stephen Ashworth, Farabello, Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, and Kalkbrenner uh, to close out the game that Creighton needed to be able to handle the ball and guard the ball, and that lineup was best suited to do both of those things against St. John's. I thought Greg McDermott did a nice job switching up ball screen coverages on Danis Jenkins, St. John's point guard in crunch time. Creighton had been playing drop coverage for 34 minutes of the game, and then for a couple of possessions, they, they trapped Jenkins in ball screens, and it disrupted Jenkins' rhythm and flow, and it, and, it, and it got a couple of stops as well. And then in the final minute, Greg McDermott then goes back to the drop coverage with Kalkbrenner, where Kalk is kind of just sitting in the middle of the paint when that ball screen comes. I'm sure everybody has watched enough Creighton basketball to know what, what that looks like. And again, I think that was the right move. Then didn't go back to it. Offensively, you got to credit the players, Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, most importantly, for being strong and accepting the physical challenge to play through the contact, not turn it over, and get to the free throw line. When when teams are just pressuring the ball, denying the wings, sometimes uh, this is what Southern Illinois, the old Southern Illinois teams used to do to us. The, the remedy to beating that is like grow a pair put the ball down on the deck and drive past a guy, be physical, play through contact, and get to the free throw line. And Creighton was able to do that. They didn't turn it over. They got 18 second-half free throws, got into the bonus quick. Then they got 13 points from the free throw line, including the two game-winning free throws from Trey Alexander. And I will say on that final Creighton possession offensively, 
it was an amazing – go back and look at it. It was an amazing individual effort from Baylor Shireman to dive and keep a loose offensive rebound alive that Creighton then grabbed. The ball kind of bounces in the middle of the lane, and Shireman dives, tips it, and Creighton's able to corral it and then swing it around and get it to Alexander, who draws a foul and then makes the game-winning free throws at the line. But it was Shireman's play that kept that play alive. And credit Greg McDermott for not calling a timeout and letting his team attack once they corralled that offensive rebound. It was a scramble situation. He had bodies on the floor. I think you're much better served. Hey, let's just work the ball around and see if you can find something. And Trey Alexander was open in the corner. He drives into the basket, gets fouled, makes the game-winning free throws with about 12 seconds left. And then I thought that the fact that Creighton obviously leads the country in fewest fouls per game really helped them in this moment where they had some fouls to give in the final 12 seconds. They executed the one that they they were really going to give perfectly, chewed four or five seconds off the clock before fouling to get it to about five seconds left to go in the game, and then got the stop on the final possession with a great contest of a Jenkins jump shot from Ryan Kalkbrenner and then not allowing the, re- the, the offensive rebound put back. There was some talk that Naheem Aleen got fouled on the, the offensive rebound. Kind of, It was like a 15-footer. He got tipped out to him, and he tried to catch it and shoot it. I, I didn't think that was a foul. I mean, I thought it was the right no call. It was a fist fight down there. The right move was a no call, in my opinion. So Creighton grinds out a big win at home. A couple of, of final things with this game. Uh, you know, his stat line wasn't amazing, Um, But I just thought Baylor Shireman played like a grown-ass man in that game and played really well. 40 minutes, never left the floor. 40 minutes, 17 points, 12 rebounds, only one turnover, and he drew eight fouls. Eight. He's in the Big East Player of the Year conversation for me. Now, Creighton, obviously, to the I'm, I'm a, to the victor go the spoils. Like you got to be in the. I have a hard time giving player of the year to a team that isn't you know first, second, or you know at most third. So you know Creighton's got to win and finish you know towards the top of the standings. But Shireman's in that conversation for me. I said on my last Creighton pod that I recorded, you know he is having a truly wonderful season. I couldn't be happier for Shireman. He's a great dude. He's about all the right things. He plays the game the right way. He's just a stud, and I thought he just played like a man against St. John's. I thought Kalkbrenner played well, and he's had a nice three-game stretch in doing kind of all the things that I want him to do, you know, defending the rim, scoring at the rim, and rebounding the ball. Here is last three games stat lines. 18 points, 9 rebounds, 4 blocks versus St. John's. 20 points, 9 rebounds, 4 blocks versus DePaul. And then 22 points, 12 rebounds, and 1 block against Providence. But he completely shut down Josh Aduro for the Friars. So the last three games for Kalkbrenner, he's averaging 20 and 10 and 3 blocks a game. He's looking like dragging Kalkbrenner out there to me. And then Trey Alexander didn't shoot it great against St. John's. Um... But I've liked, you know, in two of the last three games where it's it's winning time, it's that crunch time, Trey Alexander stepped up and been been clutch. He was the closer in that Providence game, you know, dueling it out with, with Devin Carter, and then knocked down the two game-winning free throws against St. John's after not shooting a great all game. So I just love the mental toughness from him. And then Steven Ashworth, I, I think he's been a little better the last few games. Still has to shoot it better. Six of 17 from three the last 
uh, three games, but he hit a huge three late against Providence to kind of seal it, and he hit some big shots in the first half against St. John's when no one else was really shooting it well. And so I'll, I'll wrap up the Creighton talk with, and then get to Husker hoops and Husker uh, football. I'll wrap up the Creighton talk with these two final thoughts. Obviously, you know, for this week, it's a huge stretch for Creighton. Creighton gets the top two teams in the Big East standings this week, both on the road, at UConn and then at Seton Hall. It could be a massive week for the Big East standings and the, the momentum of where Creighton is at, depending on how these two games go. My guess is, if I had to predict it, I'd think Creighton splits this week. My guess is Creighton loses at UConn and then wins at Seton Hall. That would be my prediction. But keep on, Creighton's always played UConn well. They, they've always played UConn well. And we'll see what the status is for Donovan Klingon in that game. But if Creighton found a way to go 2-0 this week, oh, man, would that be massive in a, in a variety of ways. So really important week as Creighton goes on the road. And lastly, I'll say this. Listen, we can sit here, and I've done this, right, on pods and, and in conversations with people. We can sit here and poke holes in Creighton and point out their weaknesses and their lack of athleticism and reliance on the three and, and oh, my gosh, where's the bench at, on and on and on and on. But it, it, it was interesting for me. Obviously, I watch every Creighton game, but it, I had a month stretch where I didn't do a Creighton game on TV. So I wasn't courtside watching, covering the games. But I was watching the games on TV, but I wasn't courtside. And you get a different perspective when you're, you know, I got the best seat in the house right at, at, at half court, courtside, doing the games on TV. But I did the, the Creighton at Nebraska game on TV, and then I didn't have a Creighton TV assignment until that Providence game on January 6th. And then, obviously, the St. Jan- John's game yesterday on January 13th. So I, I went about a month without seeing them in person. And I was, I, I was reminded of this reality after being back courtside watching Creighton in two games in Omaha. I was reminded of this reality that can't ever get lost on people when discussing Creighton. Good luck finding a big three better than Creighton's big three. Good luck, man. Those three guys, fuck, they are good. When shit gets real and it's time to separate the men from the boys, the contenders from the pretenders in February and March, I'll ride with Alexander, Kalkbrenner, and Shireman. Just for me, the more I watch college basketball, the more I watch Creighton, the more I am reminded that Creighton's three best players are really, 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 really good. Stop and think about those guys for a second. Those three guys have stood on the big stages and delivered. Trey Alexander closed out NCAA tournament games. Game-winning play first round against San Diego State as a freshman. Went to the Elite Eight one second away from the Final Four. Handling the ball in March, NCAA tournament. Ryan Kalkbrenner, most NCAA tournament wins in Creighton history was six. Six NCAA tournament wins. Sweet 16 appearance, Elite Eight appearance, one second away from the Final Four. Back-to-back Big East Defensive Player of the Year. Baylor Shireman led South Dakota State to the NCAA tournament, and that team was 30-5. and 30-5, and five, and he was the guy. Shireman's fifth nationally 
among active players with 1,082 rebounds. He's the nation's only player in the last 30 years with 1,000 rebounds, 500 assists, and 250 made threes. He's been to the Elite Eight. He was one second away from the Final Four. Game on the line. Remember the steal against San Diego State? That that full-court press situation, side out in front of Creighton's bench. Great defense, Shireman. Picks off the pass, lays it in to cut it. To tie it, excuse me. Like that... Those dudes have been on those stages. And let me tell you, those stages ain't for everybody. I mean, come on, man. Who, what are we talking about? Who are we talking about here? Those three guys, those re- their resumes, pretty good. And in March, that stuff matters. So for me, I just I pictured fast-forwarding to March, NCAA tournament, it's second round, it's 67-67 with three minutes left. Those three dudes have been there done that, and will be comfortable in that spot. Just food for thought to keep in mind. Because I, I'm I'm hard on Creighton sometimes. I am. This year this year I have. I've, I've had my, my frustrations with this team and certainly haven't been shy at times to point out their weaknesses. But not, let's not lose sight of how good those three dudes are. And also, let's not lose sight of how good of a coach Greg McDermott is. I like that picture. Kalkbrenner, Alexander, Shireman, Greg McDermott. You can go to war with just about anyone with those four guys. Not too many are going to outcoach Greg McDermott, and not too many teams are going to have a big three better than Creighton's big three. Okay? Just keep that in mind. And I think I'm I'm sounds like I'm lecturing you. I'm like lecturing myself with with that as well. I had that that thought as I was driving home from the game last night. It's like, man, those dudes are those dudes are good. Dudes are really good. All right, let's shift to Nebraska basketball, then I'll get some Husker Husker football to wrap it up. Interesting last week for Nebraska basketball. Uh, I, I apologize. I didn't get a chance to do like a recap on Nebraska's amazing winning over Purdue. I've had I was in I was on the road in Vegas doing UNLV in New Mexico on FS1, and then I flew back. The, the, the UNLV New Mexico game I was calling was during the Nebraska Purdue game, and then I was flying back. At the, the next day, and then I got a last-second call from BTN to fill in, and I, I filled in and did Nebraska women's game on BTN against Illinois, which was a blast to do, by the way. And then I and then I got ready for Creighton St. John, so I just haven't been able to to do a recap on that, so I apologize for that. But obviously, that was a, for a lot of people that are, have been around the program a long time, a lot of people called that Nebraska win over Purdue a top five win in program history, right? You go to No Sit Sunday, the Jamar Johnson shot over Kansas, like a bunch of different big plays, big games. But people look at Nebraska taking down number one ranked Purdue as being right up there, top five, top ten game for for Husker hoops. Atmosphere was great. Nebraska shot it great, making 14 threes. Nebraska flew around, made life hard on the reigning national player of the year, Zach Eady. I just think Nebraska met the moment and then some, and it was just incredible to watch. That's what's so fun about sports is when like the a, a huge moment, a huge opportunity gets gets answered by a team. So just just a, was was really really an incredible 40 minutes of basketball. And then, obviously, it was frustrating where Nebraska follows it up with a stinker on the road at Iowa. 
where Iowa just smashes Nebraska pretty good, 94-76. Iowa shot at 52% from the field for the game. The three-point line was huge. 15 of 35 were the Hawkeyes from three. Nebraska was just four for 26. But Nebraska was just – they were flat as a pancake to start the game. They did show a little life in the final 10, 12 minutes of the first half after digging a huge hole for themselves. And then they just got beat pretty good in the second half by Iowa. And, you know, for me, this goes back to what I've, I've been saying and what I said on my last podcast about Nebraska basketball, and that is their margin for error is thin, and in particularly on the defensive end of the floor. They have to be a 10 out of 10 in their effort every night. The more talented you are, the more you can, the, the more you can get away with and the more your margin for error gets bigger, right? Like, that's not Nebraska. They aren't talented enough to not be at a 10 out of 10 in their fight and defensive intensity and talk and competitiveness. It's easy to just point to the three-point shooting and say, well, you know, what are you going to do? Nebraska was cold against Iowa. That's just, what are you going to do? And while certainly cold shooting impacts every game, I was just, I was struck with the discrepancy in effort and fight again. You know, like if you look at it in all of Nebraska's losses, think of all of Nebraska's losses. They've lost four games. The common denominator is the effort and fight on defense. Creighton game got blasted at PBA, gave up 90. And I've said it Creighton could have Creighton could have hung 110 if if they would have been making a few of their open shots in the second half and if they really would have kept their foot on the gas. But Creighton game got blasted, gave up 90. Second half against Minnesota where they collapsed. Gave up 52 points in the second half in Minneapolis. At Wisconsin, Badgers score 88 points on Nebraska, 55% shooting from the field. And then this Iowa game gave up 94 points on 52% field goal shooting. Good luck winning games giving up 90 and 50-plus percent field goal shooting. You just, good luck. So to me... It goes back to that that margin for error thing I've been talking about and how that really manifests itself on the defense for this team. They have to stay locked in and focused and bought in on that end of the floor and all the little things that impact winning with effort and talk and physicality and sprinting back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's easy to just go, oh, you know, they missed shots. What are you going to do? No, 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 no. I mean, you guys watched it. Did that look like the same team? that beat Purdue, that beat Michigan State, that beat Indiana. That looked like that same locked in, flying around. It didn't. And so, listen, it's hard. Like, it's hard to it's it's hard to bring it every night. I know that sounds easy, but it's sometimes tough. But, like, this group's got to stay, got to stay focused in on, on that. But overall, last, this last week for Nebraska basketball. That win over Purdue, just massive. Massive. When you look at Nebraska's resume, they really needed a high-quality win on it. Nebraska, their non-con strength of schedule was bad. And before that Purdue win, Nebraska, it didn't have a win over any team that was definitely going to be in the NCAA tournament. Michigan State, Win was you know good, but Izzo's group is struggling, and they're they're probably going to be on the bubble and and have to grind to get an at large bid. Same thing with Kansas State. So getting a major signature win, not only for the Fred Hoiberg era, 
but most importantly for for the for the here and now, this team's resume was just huge. Obviously, it's only January 14th as we're taping this, and Nebraska's got a lot more games to play and work to do and more quality wins to rack up. But the fact that Nebraska has on their resume a win over what could be the number one overall seed in the tournament is just massive. If you're on the bubble, think about if you're if you're on the bubble, one of those, you know, lat four, five, six last teams under consideration. My thought is always this. Every one of those bubble teams have reasons to be left out of the tournament. That's obvious because otherwise they wouldn't be on the bubble. So for me, what's your compelling reason to be put into the tournament? And oftentimes that comes back to who did you beat? Come, it comes back to high quality wins. And let's say Nebraska is in this scenario that I'm laying out. They're a bubble team, one of the last four, five, six teams under consideration. Hopefully they're firmly in the tournament by the time that comes, but I'm just just for the for the sake of the conversation. Let's say they're in that scenario. Nebraska will likely have the best win of anyone in that scenario by a mile. That cannot be understated. So even though that Iowa blowout was frustrating and all and all those sorts of things, that Purdue win was huge in a variety of ways. Huge. All right, let's let's shift to Nebraska football to, to kind of wrap this thing up. So, I mean, I need to round uh, Bo up, you know, and get Bo back here soon, and we need to have, like, a discussion on all the latest acquisitions in the portal for Nebraska football. Um, so keep an eye out for that. I'll try, I'll try to track down Bo, and we'll, we'll, we'll knock one out here. Um, but I wanted to give a quick thought on, on Nebraska and, and just kind of what Matt Rule has done over the last couple of, of weeks, and just really the really last couple of two months here. What more? This is more of a big picture thought that I, that I want to remind everybody of. So when, if you really go back to Black Friday, Nebraska, Iowa Memorial Stadium, when when the clock struck zero and that Iowa game-winning field goal went through the uprights, the reality of the situation for Rule was this: when the sun came up the next day, and he went into his office. And maybe he's got a dry erase board or he's got a notebook and he wrote to-do list. He had a couple of things at the top of that to-do list that were extremely important. The first one was keep Tony White. Check. San Diego State was vacant, didn't go to, didn't go there. USC, there was a lot of smoke around that. USC didn't was going to be their defensive coordinator, didn't lose him to the Trojans to be their DC. Gave Tony White a much deserved raise and kept the best thing about year one for Nebraska under rule intact, and that was the defensive progression and the defensive side of the ball. Check. The next thing, retain a few of Nebraska's top defensive Dudes, Isaac Gifford, check. Polar Bear, check. Ty Robinson, check. We always get seduced about who's the new coming in, but sometimes the most important players you can recruit are the ones that are currently on your roster to stay. 
those three guys, most importantly, were the big ones to make sure they were going to continue to stay in Lincoln. Isaac Gifford wasn't sure about. He stayed. after end up having, He had a great year. Final six, seven, eight games, he was awesome. Polar Bear, figured he'd stay, but you never know. Ty Robinson, I wasn't sure if he had just had enough after his four years at Nebraska and wanted to turn pro. And the reality is with all of those guys, if Tony White leaves, do all of them come back? I'm not sure they do. I mean, I know Ty, Ty Robinson had already announced before the Iowa game that he was he was returning, but if Nebraska loses Tony White and all of a sudden the, the picture that he was coming back to is different, right? I mean, just think about for, all, for, for those guys, Polar Bear, Gifford, Ty Robinson. How appealing would it have been for them to be on their fourth defensive coordinator heading into three seasons. The fourth. Think about it now. They went from Chenander to start 2022 to Bill Bush finishing the 2022 season to Tony White in 2023 and then whoever the new defensive coordinator would have been in 2024 if White would have left to go be the USC defensive coordinator. That's a lot of change to endure for your side of the ball. So I think keeping Tony White and retaining some of the top defensive guys are all tied together. That was one of the things that made me nervous. It was like a double whammy. Like when when White was rumored to be going to USC, I'm like, man, not only is that a huge blow to the rock star coordinator that had an incredible year, but who knows what happens if he leaves. Maybe some of those guys follow him to USC. Maybe some of those guys go to the NFL. I don't know. But I think in terms of it – Again, going back to that to-do list that I created for Rule, I think the the top two were kind of tied together. Keep Tony White, keep Nebraska's top defensive guys. You you do one, it makes the second one a whole hell of a lot easier. The next thing on Rule's to-do list, the day after Black Friday, and this might be mean, but you know what it should have said? Get all new skill guys on offense. Deep down inside, y'all know that's true. You... Deep down inside, you know that is the truth. I don't. I hate to sound mean and negative, but Nebraska needed a new quarterback, a new running back, and a new number one wide receiver, maybe two. I've always joked, and I'm guilty of it. We all are. We get caught in our Husker bubble, where we just we we get caught in this where we're only focused on and we only see who's who is playing for Nebraska and that roster. We focus on them and we inflate. Sometimes we do that, especially – I'm guilty of it, especially at running back. We're like – I grew up with just seeing, you know, just ridiculous running backs. I mean, y'all don't understand. LP, Amon Green, Clinton Childs, Damon Benning, Calvin Jones, Rozier. Uh, I mean, and then uh, it, it, into the – I mean, even dudes like Darren Diedrich. To obviously, to Amir Abdullah and Rex Burkhead and Roy Halu. Like, I'm used to, like, whoever is, like, at running back for Nebraska. Like, I'm like, that just makes me think, oh, you're a baller. And it's like, that's not necessarily true right now, okay? We get caught in that bubble. And so that's what I just, I always, don't kid yourself. Harburg wasn't the long-term answer. Neither was Chuba for next year. Gabe Irvin, Emmett Johnson, Ramir Johnson, they aren't elite players. I'm not saying they're not good players. Harburg won five games at quarterback. He did some good things. He had some big splash plays, chunk runs, made some good deep throws. 
You know, Chuba in his one start at Wisconsin did some good things. And I'm not saying Gabe Irvin and Emma Johnson or Ramirez Johnson have never done anything. They have. But come on, man. Those guys weren't the long-term answers. They weren't. They aren't. And neither, at least for next year, Jalen Lloyd, Malachi Coleman, I just think you trot out them and those are your number one, number two wide receivers. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just felt like what absolutely couldn't happen was for Nebraska to run it back with Harburg at QB, Irvin at running back, and then Coleman and Lloyd at wide receiver and Marcus Satterfield calling plays into 2024. That picture had to get altered. I remember Bo and I talking, it was before one of the recap pods, about halfway through the year, and I don't know if we ever fully came out and said it point blank on the pod, but I vividly remember Bo saying, like, before we sat down and turned on the mics, he turned to me and said, Nick, Rule needs all new offensive personnel. And I'm, I kind of thought, like, yeah, he does. He does. Those guys just aren't quite good enough if you want to really make some noise in, in major college football. And that, that's what's always interesting about watching you know, I'm always I have such a Husker lens on that everything I'm doing when I watch college football is kind of there's I can't help but like see it through a Nebraska lens. So I do that thing right where I watch a college football playoff game and I'm just thinking about Nebraska the whole time. I can't help it. But watching those college football playoff games, Michigan, Bama, Texas, Washington, and then obviously Washington, Michigan, like watching those college football playoff games. I couldn't help but be like, boy, and this is, you know, Captain Obvious, but it just bears repeating, and you have to critically think about these things. Nebraska's a long ways away from that game from a skill player standpoint. The quarterback play, the wide receiver and running back play, the offensive play calling and creativity, all was just on a totally different level in those college football playoff games compared to Nebraska. Even if Nebraska would have gone 6-6, six and six. I still think they needed a, a complete reboot on offense, a complete overhaul at the top skill spots. And Matt Rule has seemingly done that. Dylan Raiola at quarterback. Obviously incredible. We've been over this. Five-star number one quarterback in the country. Texas transfer wide receiver Isaiah Nair into the fold. Wake Forest wide receiver transfer Jamal Banks heading to Lincoln, and then Oregon running back transfer Dante Dowdell heading to Lincoln. Huge, 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 huge. My guess is next year's opening day starters against UTEP in Memorial Stadium, 85 degrees and sunny, hopefully. Dylan Rael at quarterback, Dowdell at running back, and those two wide receivers are on the field in Nayer and Banks. The offensive picture from last year had to change. And I like the the way that new picture looks, at least in mid-January, a whole hell of a lot more. There's obviously more on that to-do list for Rule that I, that I hypothetically laid out, painted a picture for. But in terms of the top three things that were on it, keep Tony White, check. Retain the top defensive guys that could come back, check. Get brand new top skill guys on offense, check, check check you always gotta love checking stuff off your to-do list all right that'll do it for the pod my thanks to Pella windows and doors great partners PellaOmaha.com is the website go check them out uh my business shoot 360 lincoln membership based 
basketball training facility. It's the world's most advanced basketball training facility. We're at 48th and Van Dorn. Come check us out. Go to shoot360.com slash Lincoln to sign up for your free workout, become a member, and shout out to Herd at Sports for producing the pod. Thanks for listening. A Herd at Sports Network production.